guys, how's it going? Did you guys have a great last day here at OE? I mean, it's not the last day. You still got some time tomorrow. There's still fun stuff, but last full day. Uh, you guys had your, your last classes today. Did you guys enjoy your classes? A little less enthusiastic, but still, yeah, I like that. Well, guys, hey, I have loved our time together this week as we've gone through the Gospel of John, as we, op- as we have opened God's Word together, seen the story of Jesus together, the truth of Jesus together. Uh, tonight, I want to end on kind of one final truth. So we've talked about the truth of God, of who he is, that he is creator and ruler of everything. We talked about the truth of scripture, that God reveals himself to us, shows himself to us in his word in the Bible. We talked about the truth of Jesus, that God took on flesh, became a man. He lived among his creation. We talked about the truth of sin, that the reason that Jesus came is because we needed to be saved from the wrath of God that was rightfully on us for our sin. And then last night, we talked about the truth of the gospel. That incredible, wonderful truth that Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't, that he died the death that we deserve, and that he rose again so that we could have new life in him. So that instead of having what is due to our Sin, instead of having God's wrath on us, we can have God's favor on us. Why? Because Jesus took God's wrath and gave us the credit of his righteousness. So that's what we talked about last night. Tonight, though, I want to get to the question of what's next. The truth of God, the truth of Jesus, the truth of the Bible, the truth of the gospel, the truth of sin. But now I want to talk about the truth of the Christian life. What does it actually look like to follow Jesus? What does it actually look like to follow the master? What does it actually look like to be in the skit here, a part of his pack? That's what we're going to talk about this evening. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for our time together this week. We thank you for the ways that you've uh, moved, that your spirit has moved through your word, through the conversations that have happened this week, through the interactions that these campers have had with each other, with their counselors, um, with the Bible. Uh, God, we pray that you continue to move and to work tonight, um, and that this time is glorifying to you, God, that we come to have a a clearer idea of what it is to follow you, um, a clearer idea of who you are, a deeper love and appreciation for you. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so in light of all of these truths, in light of everything we've talked about this week, so what? What? So what? How should we then live? What should our lives then look like in light of all of these truths that we've talked about? What should we actually look like? What should, how should we actually live if we're Christians? If we are people who know the truth of God and the truth of Christ and the truth of the gospel and even the truth of our own sin, if we are people who understand, acknowledge, and believe all of those truths, then how does it play itself out in our lives? Well, if you ask this question, you're going to get a lot of different answers. If you ask different people in our world the question of what should the life of a Christian look like, you're going to get all kinds of different questions. There are some people who will tell you that the life of a Christian is a life of prosperity, 
that it's a life of ease, that because you put your faith and trust in Jesus, now he's going to give you the desires of your heart. He's gonna give you everything you want. He's gonna give you everything you ask for. Because your faith and trust is in Jesus, you're gonna have this easy, prosperous, happy life. The problem with that is the words of Jesus, who himself says, he promises this, promises us this, he says, in this world, you will face tribulation. In this world, you will have troubles. You'll face tribulation. So those people who say that the Christian life is just a life of health, wealth, and prosperity, they're disagreeing with Jesus about what the Christian life is because Jesus promises us troubles. He promises us hardship. There are others who say that the Christian life should be a life of just being nice, never offending anybody, never stepping on anyone's toes, never making anyone feel bad. The problem with that, again, are the words of Jesus. Because you see, in John chapter 15, in John 15, Jesus says this in verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than its master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, look, the Christian life is not a life of health and wealth and prosperity. It's not an easy life. It's not a life that doesn't mean that you, you trust in Christ and all of your worldly problems will be solved. You'll never deal with money issues again. You'll never get a bad grade on a test. You'll never um, have difficulties in your relationships. That's not the promise of the gospel. The Christian life is not a life of ease, not a life of comfort. The Christian life is also not a life of being inoffensive. It's not a life of just being super duper nice to everybody and never hurting anyone's feelings and, and, and never saying anything that offends anyone and having everybody like you. It's not a life of popularity. Because we have a clear example of the kind of unpopularity that the gospel causes, right? In Jesus, he says, if they hated me and you follow me, then guess what? They're gonna hate you as well. So it's not this life of prosperity. It's not this life of just kind of linking arms and singing kumbaya with everybody and getting along. The Christian life is something a little bit different. We see this in John chapter 17. I want to start there with you guys this evening. In John 17, verses 14 through 16, this is the backdrop of the Christian life. This is Jesus praying right before he went in to, to be taken in and killed. So this is like the night before Jesus is betrayed. This is the, the high priestly prayer. He's praying to God the Father about his people. And I want to read you some of his words, some of what he prays in John chapter 17. He says this, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus' prayer for us is not for an easy, comfy, cushy life. 
Jesus' prayer for us is not that God would take us out of all difficulty and all hardship and all pain. No, Jesus says, I'm praying for them because they're not of this world. What's his prayer for us? That we be kept from the evil one, that we be kept from sin, that we be sanctified, that's made righteous, made like Jesus by the truth of God, by the word of God. And this backdrop for the Christian life is that the Christian life is a life of being a stranger in a world where we don't belong. That those of us who belong to Christ, we don't belong to this world. And so the Christian life is a life of being a stranger in a world where we don't belong. Some of you might feel that right now. Now, you guys, I know many of you are from a Christian home, and you go to a Christian school, and you live in a very Christian world. But you understand, and you're reaching an age where you're starting to understand that the broader world, outside of your bubble, of your family, your friends, your church, the rest of the world around you does not look like that. And that if you're going to follow Jesus, and you're going to stand on the truth of the Bible, you're going to be the odd man out in a whole lot of rooms. You're going to be the one who's different because you're not of this world. At some level, we don't belong here. And that causes difficulty. We're strangers in a world that we don't belong to, and sometimes we feel this. But what I want to do tonight is I want to look in John chapter 20 and Jesus appearing to his disciples after he's been resurrected. After he was crucified, dead for three days, rose again, he shows up to his disciples. And I want to look at three things that Jesus says. Because in those three statements that Jesus makes to his disciples in John chapter 20, I think we have a picture of exactly how we're supposed to live this life in a world where we ultimately don't belong. Okay, so let's look at that. John chapter 20, open up there. This is where we'll be spending most of our time tonight. In John 20, we'll start in verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the day, of that day, the first day of the week, this is the day that Jesus is resurrected. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, showing them the wounds there. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when, they had, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus shows up in this room where his disciples are, and what are they doing? They're hiding. They're hiding. See, Jesus, this one who they've followed, who they spent three years following around, hearing his teachings, they thought he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, and then he was taken, put up on a, on a hill, he was mocked, he was nailed to a cross, he was killed, and he's been dead for three days. And so what do they do? Do they say, we believe in Jesus? Now, Jesus had told them time and time again that he was going to come back after three days. 
But they don't say, no, Jesus, they don't say, Jesus is coming back, we're, we're, we're ready, we're celebrating, we've got a big meal cooking for him, we're going to have a party when Jesus shows up. No, what do they do? They hide and they lock the door. Why? Because they're afraid. Because they're afraid, it says for fear of the Jews. They're afraid that what happened to Jesus is about to happen to them. And then, with the door locked, everyone cowering in the corner, boom, Jesus appears in the room. It's a cool trick. I don't know how he does it, but he appears in the room. The door's still locked, and here he is standing in the middle of them, Jesus. And the first thing he says is what? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, why do we think Jesus, coming into this room of his disciples, started with peace be with you? Well, because they were scared, right? They were in this room with the door locked. Why? Because they were afraid. They were afraid that someone was going to come and take them and nail them to a cross. And boom, here someone is standing in the room. And the first thing Jesus says is, peace be with you. Jesus was telling them that they could have peace in their circumstances. He's telling them, hey, it's okay. It's me. But I think there's more to it as well. Because keep in mind what the disciples have been doing for the last three days. See, Jesus might have needed to say, peace be with you, because he didn't want them to be afraid of what was going on outside. But as soon as they realize that that's Jesus standing in front of them, what's their reaction going to be? They're going to remember what they've done for the last three days. And what they've done for the last three days is they've cowered. They've been in fear. They've turned their backs on Jesus. Jesus mentions this in the book of John. He says that every one of you is gonna turn your back on me. One by one, you're gonna turn away and I'm gonna die on my own. And exactly that happened. Every one of these disciples had turned their back on Jesus. And yet when he shows up, he doesn't say, you guys messed up. No, he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. So what does this have to do with our Christian life? Well, the Christian life, while it is a life lived among a world that, that we don't belong to, it's a life that is marked by incredible peace. But just as Jesus told his disciples in that room, peace be with you, Jesus tells us, those of us who put our faith and trust in him, peace be with you. Because of the work of Jesus, we can have peace. The Bible talks about this as a peace that surpasses all understanding. That those who know Jesus can live lives that are marked by peace. Peace in spite of circumstance. Peace in spite of trials. Peace in spite of difficulties. Peace in spite of hardships. But a real, deep, and abiding peace we're jumping around the book of John. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But in John chapter 16, 33, chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, Jesus promises us that in this life we will face difficulty. And you know what? Some of that difficulty is likely going to be because we claim Christ. We'll face sickness. We'll face hardship. We'll face loss. We'll face pain. We may face persecution for our faith. We may be made fun of. 
for the things that we choose not to do that the world around us tells us we should be doing? There's a, a very real possibility that at some point in some of our lives, we face legal persecution for claiming faith in Jesus. As of right now, that's, that's not something necessarily that, that we're worrying about immediately. But guys, the way things are going, it is a very real possibility that before you and I die, we face legal persecution, prosecution. We might face prison. We might face death because of our faith in Jesus. And yet Jesus is telling us here, take heart. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. In Romans 8, 18, it says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. So no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what our difficulties are, no matter what our pains are, no matter what our persecutions are, no matter what our tribulations are, they're not worth comparing to the gift that we've been given in Jesus because the gift that we've been given in Jesus is life, eternal life, spent with our God and our King and our Savior. So we can have peace in spite of circumstance. The disciples could have peace even if the Jews are outside sharpening their swords ready to come and put them to death. They can have peace because they have peace with God. So Jesus brings us peace. He brings us peace in spite of our circumstances, but he also brings us peace with God. We talked about this last night, being at peace with God, right? God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness, with, the righteousness of God. Turning back to John chapter 20, the next thing that Jesus says is this. In verse 19, he says, peace be with you. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You see, the Christian life is a life of peace, but it's not a life of laziness. It's a life of rest, but it's not a life of sitting around. We have peace with God. We have peace with our circumstances, but we also have a job to do. We're not just sitting in this world. We are sent to this world. Jesus says to his disciples, just as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So what's the question that we have with that? How did the Father send Jesus? How did the Father send Jesus? Let's look at a couple places in John that ask that question. Why was Jesus sent? How was he sent? We'll start in John chapter 12, John 12, 49. John 12, 49 says this, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. The Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. See, Jesus was sent into the world to speak the words of the Father. The Christian life is a life of being sent into the world to speak the words of the Father. 
It is a life of going to a world that is lost in darkness and proclaiming the truth. Proclaiming the truth about God, about Jesus, about sin, about the gospel. It is a life of going to a world that is lost in darkness and shining the light of Jesus as brightly and clearly and boldly and powerfully as we can. It is a life of going and speaking the words of God to the world that he made. But remember, the darkness hates the light. And so while we're called to speak those words clearly, there will be many who don't want to hear them, yet we're still called through the peace of God to go and to proclaim boldly the truth of the gospel, the truth of God, the truth of his word. So Jesus was sent to speak the words of his father in the same way we are sent to the world to speak the words of God. Jesus was also sent to do the will of the father. Look at John chapter six, John six thirty-eight. It says this, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You see, the job of a Christian, yes, is to proclaim the truth with our mouths and to say very clearly who God is and what he's done and how we can be saved from our sin. It's to say those things, but it's also to live them out. Jesus did not come to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. And you and I are called to live lives not doing our own will, not what we want, not what we think makes us feel good, but rather the will of God, the God who made us. It is to follow his commandments, to walk in obedience to him, to do the things that he says are right and good and true and beautiful, to follow the commandment of his word. So we're sent into the world to speak the word of God and to do the will of God, to show God to the world that he made through our words and through our actions. The Christian life is a life marked by incredible peace, peace with our circumstances because we realize the incredible gift that God has given us with Jesus. Peace with God because that is the gift. It is also a life of being sent, being sent to proclaim the words of God and to do the will of God, to obey God. Now let's look at that last saying of Jesus in John chapter 20, verse 22. And when he said these things to them, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So far, these things that I've said are incredibly difficult. It is incredibly difficult to live a life marked by radical peace. It is incredibly difficult to go through trials and suffering and hardship and to go through it with peace, peace with our circumstance because we understand our peace with God. It is incredibly difficult to live a life of consistently speaking the words of God and doing the will of God. But Jesus doesn't leave us to do this alone. He said he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, throughout the book of John, Jesus speaks of a helper who he will send, a helper who he will send to 
empower his people to live the life that they're called to live. That helper is the Holy Spirit. It is God himself, the Spirit of God. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, real quick, I want to give you three things. Starting in John chapter 4, John 4, 14. I'm jumping all over John tonight. John 4, 14 says this. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give. Now, that water that Jesus is talking about in John chapter 7, it's clarified. John 7, 39, if you want to write that down, that when Jesus is talking about this living water, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So this is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, whoever drinks of this water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, number one, the Holy Spirit gives us life. When we deserve nothing but death, the Holy Spirit of God, indwelling in us, living in us, gives us life through Christ Jesus. But that's not all the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit also, in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit brings us peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you not, and peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard them say, I am going away and I will come to you. If you have loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. The Father is greater than I. So Jesus says that through the Holy Spirit being with us, the helper of the Holy Spirit in verse 26, he will bring us peace in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, not this circumstantial peace that's based on how happy our day was today, but a profound, lasting, impenetrable, invincible peace that passes understanding, a peace that is with us at all times. The Holy Spirit gives us life. The Holy Spirit brings us peace. And then finally, John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit empowers us for the task that we've been given. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Guys, we've been given an incredibly difficult task. Jesus, in his love and his mercy, he died on the cross for us. He rose again for us so that we could have new life in him. But now our lives are lives living in a world where we don't belong. A world that, that we are not a part of. Because we don't belong to this world. We belong to God. We belong to heaven. And there's going to be difficulty to that. People are not going to like us. People are not going to like what we have to say. But Jesus gives us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower us for the task. One of the most famous passages in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 19. Something we call the Great Commission. One of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples, it's this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the Christian life is a life of being sent. It's a life of going through this world, speaking the words of God, doing the will of God, doing the work of God, and that work of God is to go and make disciples of all nations by our actions and by our words, preaching the gospel everywhere we go. To everyone we come into contact with, we show them who Jesus is and what he's done by the things that we say and the things that we do that will not make your life easier. In fact, in many cases, in many times, it will make your life a whole lot harder. But we can take heart. Why? Because Christ has overcome the world. We can have peace. Why? Because we have been given peace with God. And as it says in Romans chapter 8, I consider that the trials of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. That the gift that we've been given in Jesus is so much greater, so much more glorious, so much more beautiful, so much more valuable than anything that this world could ever take away from us that we can boldly proclaim the gospel no matter the cost because we've been given so much in Christ and because he is with us, empowering us, living in us to do his work. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I have commanded and I am with you always even to the end of the age. Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that the very same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The reason you can live this radical life of obedience to God this radical life on mission for God, proclaiming the gospel through your words and your actions, the reason you can do it is not because you are so smart or so talented or, or so incredibly great and perfect at everything you do. It's not about you at all. The reason you can live the life that you've been called to live is because the same spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and he brings you peace with God. And he brings you life in Christ. And he empowers you to do the job that Jesus has sent you to do. To preach the Father's word. To speak the Father's words. And to do the Father's will. That's why you're here. Not at Hume, not on the mountain. That's why you're on this planet. That's your job. Go and make disciples to tell others about who Jesus is and what he's done, to do it by your actions, yes, but also to do it with your words. It won't be easy, but you can do it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, empowers you to do it, and nothing this world can take away is worth comparing to the incredible gift that you have been given through Christ Jesus.
That's what the Christian life is, guys. Let's pray. Dear God, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for these kids. I, I pray that they would realize, that they would realize what their life is really about. That it's not about getting a job where they can make the most money. That it's not about getting the most followers on whatever social media they use now. It's not about getting Fortnite kills, if anyone still plays that. It's about, God, that they would realize that this life is about doing your will. That it's about showing others the truth of the gospel. That it's about living in faithful obedience to you. And that, God, while that might not win us friends, that ultimately it's what we've been called to do and that we are empowered to do it by your Spirit. So, God, we thank you for your Spirit. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for the purpose that you've given to our lives. God, I pray that we would not be distracted by all the other things that claim to fulfill us, but instead we would focus on the reality that we are only fulfilled. We only have true, meaningful, eternal purpose when we do your will and when we speak your word. In Jesus' name, amen.